0: Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash
1: Alaska. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
0: we got to work to see more identified with Christ. That's the goal. That should be your passion. That should be your concern. Might have been easier in the first century in Antioch, it might have been easier in the 20th century in Georgia, but it's the 21st century in Southern California and we have got to have that same passion.
1: Before ascending into heaven, Jesus left Christians with a substantial task in the form of the Great Commission. So what must we do to advance the Gospel? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains how Christians can effectively share the Gospel and lead others to Christ. I'm your host, Dave Drouey. We're in Acts 8.36, examining Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian official. And now here's Pastor Mike with a final lesson in our series called Gospel Advance. It's a message titled, Courage to be Identified with Christ.
0: Verse 36 of Acts chapter 8. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. What's missing here, friends? What happened? Did he get, did he he repent? Of course. Of course he repented. Philip, he, he knows this. He's done this. He's, he's been an evangelist from the beginning of the chapter. He sat in Peter's preaching. He's listened to Peter preach. He knows what the gospel is. He knows what Jesus taught about you got to repent, right? You got to repent, put your trust in Christ. So that happened. Now, if someone's looking at this text, they're gonna go, well, it'd be helpful just to have that piece there. As a matter of fact, I, every time I preach to you, I start by looking at the text, reading the text over and over, looking at the original languages, and I take that text, and one thing I try to do in my study early on is I just write one sentence summary of everything that's in it, just an encapsulated summary. And you know what I wanted really bad? Because really, what, when I look at this historically, I'm saying, well, here's a passage about what? Here's a passage about the eunuch wanting to be baptized and Philip baptizes him and then he goes on and does more evangelism. And what I really want to say is, hey, the big deal is he got saved. I want, that. I want to show that. So someone out West, in about three Greek manuscripts from the sixth century forward, they put that clarification in. It was reflected in old translations and revisions of, of the Vulgate. The Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Bible, both in Old Testament and New Testament. And in a late edition of Jerome, who was the, the man who translated it, was known for doing this back in the fourth century, there was a edition of this. As best we can tell, there was an edition of Why? Because we don't have it anywhere else. We, we've got a few scant references. Irenaeus was a second century church leader, pastor, and he wrote a, a, a letter called Against Heresies. And in that statement, he recalls the Ethiopian eunuch Getting saved. And just like I said, there's no mention of him being saved. Well, he states the scene and talks about him being saved and calling on Jesus as the Son of God. Perhaps Irenaeus and Cyprian followed, and the biographer of Cyprian, right after Cyprian in the next century, he also discusses that and this word of him calling out on Christ and believing with all of his heart is there. And perhaps from the second, third century, this ends up in the West with a clarification way out here in Italy in the West. And so we have just a few manuscripts and the Latin Vulgate revision edition of that, late edition, we have that statement. So who's Matthew? I don't know, some dudes out in the Western world who put this clarification and in, perhaps influenced by Irenaeus's depiction, and Cyprian's depiction of what happened, which, of course, it's begging for that. Erasmus and Stephanus. Let's talk about Erasmus. Erasmus, in, working in Cambridge in the 1500s, comes up with a critical, what we call a critical edition of the Greek New Testament, which is him taking some, I like to say all, but it wasn't all. It was, it was a few basic New Testament Greek manuscripts that were found Of course, there's plenty of them around, but he had a certain select group of them that he based a critical edition of the New Testament on, which means he was pulling these together and saying, let's reconstruct the original. Why? Because we don't have the negative. So Erasmus does that work. It's decent work. But the decision that he made, even in a comment that he makes, is I just think this is an oversight of the copyists. He had no Greek text that had this reading at that time. He didn't have those few Western texts, but he had the Vulgate. And he had the late edition of the Vulgate that had this reading in it. Later, by the way, he, he reflected on it after he published it and said, I don't think I should have added that. Nevertheless, it was in the 1500s, the critical edition of the Greek New Testament, that Erasmus did, putting it in the main text. And then Stephanus is the guy in 1551 who put the verse numbers in. So the verse numbers were put in on the critical text of the Greek New Testament and other subsequent text, that was the first numbering system that actually caught on, so they put 40 verses in Acts chapter 8. So Stephanus and Erasmus saying, I'm going to number these and put this from the margin into the middle of it. Scholar sense. Most people with degrees just sit around and do this work, and I have plenty of source material, at least electronically available, do the work myself, and I come to the same conclusion everyone else has come to. If I compare all the available resources, which are way more than Erasmus, way more than I mean, we have a a plethora of witnesses to the Greek New Testament and even the ancient uh, translations. I'm gonna say there was only 39 verses. And I'm saying, if you don't have verse 37 in your Bible, you should thank God for honest translators because the translators are basing this translation work on the best available, most logical and supportable critical Greek New Testament. And every modern critical Greek New Testament is totally transparent about the problem. That's why I have all these footnotes at the bottom. It's called apparatus. And trust me, it feels like apparatus. It's hard stuff to work through, but all of it is trying to help us figure out why verse 37 didn't exist. We didn't even have verses in our Bibles until 1551. And that numbering system was based on, that utilized Erasmus' decisions. Erasmus even regretted the decision about this particular text, so it goes, and there's why we should be thankful that there's honest scholars. Now, that's the hard explanation. Guess what? A lot of people like simple explanations. Do you know what the simple explanation? King James Bible had it. You're doesn't. I'm right. You're wrong. Okay, I, I can't. I can't argue with you then. Right? I'm sorry. Some things need complicated explanations because it's a complicated thing to get from the negative to the photo in your phone. So, verse 38. Verse 38. I have no idea why you're applauding that, but okay. <laughs> Verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop, the Ethiopian, stop. And they both went down into the water. And they both went down into and they both went down into the water, Presbyterians. They both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. He didn't say, look, there's some water. And then it says Philip went over and got some water, came back to the chariot, and sprinkled him. Doesn't say that. Now, the text doesn't have to say that for me not to be a Presbyterian paedo-baptist. And here's the reason, because the word baptizo means to submerge, to dunk, to immerse. So we know that's what it means, and that was the practice. And so the practice is they go down into the water, and it's a passive verb, what prevents me from being baptized, verse 36. Well, someone has to do this to you, and of course, Philip does this to him. You can't baptize yourself unless you do a deep knee bend, but you're going backwards into the water. This is the picture of baptism. And they come back up, and then off he goes, verse 39, more on that in a second. But what we need to see is that this act of water baptism, again, and you can see why verse 37 was a marginal reading that God incorporated, because I want to say it's after his response to the gospel, which is implied in this text, which of course it must be because Philip knows what he's doing. And so we know post-conversion, make disciples baptizing them in water, right? They go down in water and they get submerged. All of us need to make sure we do that. That's a specific expression of identifying with Christ. Number three, we need to obey God's call for water baptism. Water baptism by someone representing the church, in this case, Philip, publicly, stop the chariots, everyone's standing around watching, and it's by immersion. They go down into the water, and then they baptizo, which is a transliterated word that means to submerge, and it's after conversion. Why? Because Philip wouldn't do it any other way. Be good if the verse were there. Well, somebody out in Italy decided to put the verse in there. But that is post-conversion by immersion publicly by a church leader. That needs to happen, those four things. Has it happened to you? You need to make sure if you are a Christian and you're professing Christ, you say, I did repent, I responded to the good news. Great. Then you need to, it's a passive verb, you need to let someone baptize you. And that's not your buddy, your wife, your kids, your your uncle. This needs to be in a church. doesn't have to be in a church setting, but it has to be by church leadership, by submersion, by going immersed within the water, and post-conversion, make disciples baptizing them. If you haven't done that, easy fix. Go on your phone, compasschurch.org, find the baptism link, sign up for the next one. The next one's coming up. It's already on the calendar. Say, I want to be baptized. And the question that the Ethiopian asked, said, what prevents me from being baptized? That's what the church leaders do. We say, well, let's figure out if there is anything that prevents you from being baptized, and that's why you may feel like you're being interrogated, but we need to find out if there is anything. Is your testimony a legitimate biblical Christian testimony? Do you understand what baptism is? So we have a meeting with a pastor, and we have a book to read about what baptism is and what it isn't. Those two things. Well, I'm gonna do it right now in the patio. Well, that we want to answer the question. Since Philip is doing the baptizing, since church leaders are doing the baptism, then we want to make sure we answer that question in our own conscience as church leaders. Hey, nothing prevents you from being baptized. Philip got through those hurdles in his mind. We want to get through those hurdles in our mind. Oh, but it's scary. And I'm saying, don't be ashamed of Christ. So it's scary. You pass out, we'll catch you. It, it's fine. We will, we will, it will be dramatic. No one will forget it. If you, have a, 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 if you melt down on the platform, be famous. The point, though, is that you do it. So I need you to sign up to be baptized if you've never been, Well, I didn't like the last church, so I'm gonna get baptized here again. No, 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 no. One time after conversion, public setting, post-conversion, by immersion, by church leadership. That, that's taking place. Don't, I don't, My church, I don't like it. The guy that baptized me is an apostate. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You did it. That's what matters. And we want you to do it if you haven't done it, well, I got baptized before I was a Christian. Well, that's not post-conversion, is it? I got sprinkled. Well, that's not immersion, is it? So we need to make sure that's taken care of in your life. And when you lead someone to Christ, we need to say, hey, do this. So much more that we have said on that. Go to the back of the worksheet. So many good resources there, sermons in the past that we've preached on about these things. Not a salvific thing. Well, if it's not salvific, if it doesn't save me, then what, what, it's not important. A lot of things that don't... Save you that are very important because Christ commanded them. So we need to to do it. Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. What in the world happened here? And he went on his way rejoicing. Who did? The eunuch kept going down south and as Irenaeus says, went preaching the gospel down in Africa. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, 22 miles north, and preached the gospel to all the towns all the way up the Mediterranean coast until he got to Caesarea. And that's where we find him later in the book. We'll get to this whole carried away in a second, but let's just get to the theme here. And the theme is, and again, we have to rely on tradition of church history about the fact that it makes perfect sense that the church in Africa grew because of the Ethiopian eunuch as a standalone missionary there and starting the movement of Christ in the continent, at least down that far south in the continent. But Philip then clearly in the text goes on sharing the good news, proclaiming the good news, evangel. He wants to see more people standing out of the crowd and identifying with Christ. Number four, we got to work to see more identified with Christ. That's the goal. That should be your passion. That should be your concern. Might've been easier in the first century in Antioch. It might've been easier in the 20th century in Georgia, but it's the 21st century in Southern California and we have got to have that same passion. Let me take you to one last passage. Let's close with this. Matthew chapter nine. And for this, I'll tie together that carried away phrase. What in the world, carried away? That's the Greek word harpazo. And if you're a theologian or you know, an armchair theologian, you know that word harpazo in Greek is the word that translates into Latin, which is transliterated into English, rapture. It's translated in our ESV into the word caught up, the words caught up. In first S. So the church is promised to be caught up. And when you think about that, you think about it in bodily form, which of course is what happened to Jesus at the ascension. It's what happened with Elijah. We see examples probably of Enoch getting caught up the planet bodily. Well, that's a miracle of teleport. I mean, that's, that's, that's Star Trek stuff, right? And you're like, wow, is that what happened here? I don't know, it seems to be that's what's being said. It could be used metaphorically, but the next phrase that the eunuch saw him no more seems to make it seem like it was like a bam. And if it was, not saying it's not metaphorically that the spirit as some commentators say just compelled him like he compelled him to go there and he physically got there literally and physically within the laws of nature, perhaps he's physically going and compelled to leave and he's just done. Either way, it's a forceful word, harpazo. He was caught up. Spirit took him somewhere else. It reminds me of this text, bottom of Matthew 9. Are you with me on Matthew 9? Matthew chapter 9, drop down to verse 35, which is reminiscent of what Philip was described doing up the Mediterranean coast. Jesus went throughout, this is Matthew 9, 35, went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Wow. Everywhere. Moving, moving, going, 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 going. And of course, as the Messiah, he is validating his messianic claim, healing every disease and every affliction. So he's got his authentication, miraculous authentication. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He felt something for them. He felt moved in his gut, literally what the word means. He's moved in his gut, in his, in his organs, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know and I'm sure they did if Christians in the Bible Belt in the 20th century thought that about their culture. But man, if you don't see our world as absolutely insane right now, they are harassed and helpless. They're harassing each other, they're helpless. They are certainly like sheep without a shepherd bumping into the walls with ridiculous theories about reality, ridiculous things that they're emphasizing. It is absurd, it is corrosive, it is self-defeating, it is an absolute mess. The people around you are dying, philosophically, mentally, and and spiritually, of course, and physically. And he says, because of that, verse 37, he then says, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Man, there are people that need to be saved. They need to be under the jurisdiction of Christ. They need to be identified with the Lord. The harvest is plentiful. Here's the problem, though. The laborers are few. That's the reality. The means by which God ordains for the gospel to go through the villages of the Mediterranean coast are human beings. And it's like, there are not a lot of them. And we need more workers. And so here's this word, harpazo, like he's taken, is he teleported 20 miles away? He might be, I don't know, maybe. Did he have to then hoof it for half a, a day to get there? Maybe he did, maybe he was compelled, didn't even stop for lunch, he just went. I mean, that could be. The point is, it's aggressive, which is exactly what we see in the next verse. Therefore, you ought to aggressively pray. This is the word deomai, the Greek word for an intense begging of God. I'm about to beg you. I want to aggressively pray. Pray to the Lord. Pray earnestly to the Lord. The Lord of the harvest, the one that's in charge of every city, every person, every life, has been designed by God. God is the king of life. He wants these people saved. And the means that He's appointed is laborers to send out laborers into His harvest. Send out. You could translate that much stronger. Here's an aggressive. Verb right here, ek balo, ek balo, to, ek is, is the Greek preposition out, balo, to throw, to thrust them out into the harvest field. I'm begging God, aggressive word for prayer, to, aggressive word, to thrust them out. Here's something that if he did get teleported there, that would be a thing to watch. And you often think about, well, the, the Ethiopian unit, like, that's one thing, but what if he's showing up in your town that way? I'm thinking more of the other end. Here's this guy. Was it that? I'm not sure. I don't know. 50-50 on this in terms of whether this is the compulsion and this is a metaphorical use of the word or whether it's literal. Nevertheless, it's a strong aggressive term for time to move this chess piece over here. And all I'm telling you is that ought to be the way we are mobily ready to identify with Christ and to see and want. The last point of the last sermon of this series on gospel advance is that you and I ought to be committed to advancing the gospel. Always be ready to identify with Christ. And then I just want to see more and more people identified with Christ. We should want an expanding church. We should pray for the ekbalo, the thrusting forth of workers into the harvest field. And you pray that prayer, you can't help but be that person. You'll be the answer to your own prayer in that regard because God is going to push you out into this mission field, which of course is what he does to the Ethiopian Reminds me of Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, when the guy, the demoniac, was healed by Christ, he says, I want to go with you. And he goes, no, no, no. Go to your home. Tell your friends and your family what the Lord has done for you. And here goes the Ethiopian down into Africa. You go tell the people there what I got to go up north to tell people up the coast. This takes, from a human perspective, a resolve. This is what a lot of what the series has been about. We got to be resolved. There's an old song I sang in Sunday school as a kid about resolve. Resolve you might remember it, and in your Calvinism, you may be afraid to assert it, but trust me, this is a decent description of the resolve of the Christian life, and that is this, I have decided to follow Jesus. Look up the history of this song, and I know there's some apocryphal stories that might have grown up around it, but we know this, it came from India, and it came from India on the, in the wake of the missionaries that were sent, the Welsh missionaries that went out from Europe to go to northern India, and they were going into some really difficult places, And this was an Indian song, a gospel song that came out of the experience apparently of these European missionaries who came there and they brought people to Christ, said, you got to follow Christ, you got to trust in Christ. Well, the story goes that one of the chiefs of one of the villages came in and saw what was happening to his people. And he cornered this family of Indians who were committing themselves to Christ and under duress and under threat of death, he tried to get them to renounce Christ. And his words apparently were, hey, You cannot follow Christ anymore. And out of that came this song. And apparently, so the story goes, these people, this family was actually martyred in the process. But the song was sung by the Indians who were saved through that work of the missionary efforts of those Welshmen. It was, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, remember the song? To follow Jesus. You know the last line there of the first verse? No turning back. No turning back. I thought of the song because I thought about that poor Ethiopian eunuch going all alone, the only Christian in his caravan and the only Christian in his nation. And I thought about the next verse Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. That's going to mean in your life and in your heart, you're going to have to get down to the, the brass tacks, the, the core of what this Christian life is all about. And you've got to be thinking, as the last. Verse says, the world behind me, doesn't matter. The glory of man, not real interested in that. The world behind me, the cross before me. I care about what God thinks, I care about the glory of God. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back.
1: You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and the conclusion of a message titled, Courage to be Identified with Christ. Today is the final message in a five-week series called Gospel Advance. If you want to hear the entire uncut series, then simply go to our website, focalpointradio.org. In his teaching, you can clearly hear Pastor Mike's passion and dedication for advancing the gospel every day. And he's made it clear that, as Christians, we need to be resolved to share the gospel with others. One way to step up and help more people hear the gospel is by supporting this ministry with a financial donation. We broadcast Pastor Mike's clear, verse-by-verse biblical teaching every day on more than 800 radio stations across the country and around the world. And you can help us cover the costs to put these messages on the air and ensure that people everywhere have access to solid biblical teaching. Simply make a generous donation at focalpointradio.org or call us at triple eight three two zero five eight eight five. That's 888-320-5885. Or if you prefer, write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And right now, when you give generously, we'll say thanks by sending you A.W. Tozer's outstanding book, Men Who Met God. This compelling collection of Tozer's teaching features 12 stories of encounters with God. It's our gift to you when you give to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or you can give online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Druey, inviting you to join us again tomorrow on Focal Point to hear Pastor Mike Fabares start a new series called Amazing Conversions. And we're starting off with the story of a man whose life was radically changed when he encountered the risen Christ. It's a message about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. His remarkable story is coming up Tuesday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here,
0: ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike or send me a note on facebook.com slash
1: Pastor Mike or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.